Well, good morning, everyone, again, and uh, we're closing out our series here on uh, Elijah and Elisha, finally getting to the end, part 23, right? <laughs> but uh, we've seen a lot of truths in this series that have related to our our lives and to the last days, you know, about the church and what God's going to do, how he wants to empower his people. He wants to preserve us. He wants to anoint us and strengthen us. And we saw that in many different aspects in these two prophets, but now we're coming to one of the final and I think most exciting stories in in this series. It's the army of Syria being smitten with blindness. And it's not just how they're smitten with blindness, but what happens, what takes place in the midst of this story. And so, as you know, Syria lies to the north of Israel, and the Syrian army would come down raiding into Israel and, you know, try and hit different towns and so forth. And uh, But something interesting was happening because they were trying to trap the king of Israel. And so the king of Syria would plan a raid. They would set a trap. Let's try and get, get the king and, you know, take him hostage and so forth. But Elisha was there too in the sense that he was hearing from God. And God would speak to him. The Syrians are coming on such and such a time, and they're, they're up to no good. And he would send a message to the king of Israel, and the king would send people to check it out. Sure enough, they're there laying a trap for us, and he would know not to go there. And it says this happened not once and not twice. So many times, the, you know, the Syrians were intent on capturing the king. But God was speaking. God was, you know, giving a warning. And, you know, that, that thought is seen in Scripture. In Amos 3 and verse 7, it says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. You know, and I think what we can understand from this is God desires to speak to his people. He does not want us to go either as a people of God, as a congregation, even as a church on a whole, or as individuals, unawares. He wants to speak to us. He wants to warn us. He wants to preserve us. He wants to guide us into his pathway. He wants to lead us by his still, small voice. Now, I'm not saying from this story we all need to operate at this level of the prophetic that Elijah or Elisha was operating, well, both of them. Um, right? That's not something we necessarily aspire to. God chooses people for that. But, you know, sometimes we look, read this, and, well, I'm not getting dramatic words like this. God isn't speaking in such a way. But that doesn't mean we're falling short. I think this is just the indication he wants to speak to us personally. He wants us to hear his voice because he desires to lead us in a good way. And we have no idea how to go that way, but God does. Psalm 37 and verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. They're ordered by the Lord. Well, if we're going to go in that good way, the only way we can do it is if he's ordering us and speaking to us and guiding us in that way. And so we can be certain that he is going to speak Maybe he's even speaking. And I think I've stated this before, but I, I, I firmly believe that God is speaking a lot more than we realize, that we necessarily recognize or hear. 
You know, although there are seasons when God is silent, and that those are not fun seasons to go through, you just have to keep holding on to the last thing he said, and like, Lord, I know you're going to speak sometime. I'm just going to keep going. But, you know, most of the time, you know, those are specific seasons, but I think otherwise, he's always speaking. He's always guiding and directing us. But, you know, I think a good illustration that I've used before is like that radio signal. It's always broadcasting. You say, well, Lord... What's going on? Why haven't I gotten a word from you? Well, are we tuned in? Have we dialed in to that exact frequency that we need to be on, or are we listening to other things? Is, are, are we just here content with hearing static? Right? Or, you know, there can be many things. We need to tune our hearts. I think Pastor Holmes wrote a song, you know, Tune Our Hearts to, to You, Lord. And so what can help us in that? There's a couple of, th- well, many things, you know, kind of two categories. One is, is the time we spend with the Lord in his word, in prayer, in worship, in his presence. All of that combined works on us. It kind of like turns the dial, you know, you, you think of that old, now you press buttons, but we all, most of us remember the back in the days you'd do the dial and see the needle move up and, you know, to get to the right frequency You know, when we do that, we are tuning in our hearts. I don't know if he changes frequency a lot, but we we need a lot of tuning, right, to get into that place sometimes. But the more we spend time with him, the more we're seeking him actively, the more we're tuning in to him so that we're sensitive to his still, small voice. If there's lots of other noise going on, we miss it. And so we have to tune our hearts, right? So that, that's one kind of broad category of lots of different things. And we need to seek the Lord. Lord, how can I tune my heart afresh to you? Maybe it's spending more time in prayer or more time in his word or maybe something specific, a certain devotional or whatever it can be. The Lord will lead us in that. There's another category because, you know, we can come to hear his voice, but it's not going to do us any good if we're not obeying the voice and following his voice, right? We can know, we know well that God's still small voice can speak, but we don't always appreciate what's being said. And so a part of tuning into God and, and being ordained in his steps and being preserved in our pathway is learning to, okay, Lord, you, you said that word, that's a challenging word, but I got to do it. I have to follow it. Lord, I, I don't want to, to go against that. You know, it says of Christ, his ear was not rebellious and did not turn back. Instead, it was opened morning by morning, as it says in Isaiah. His ear wasn't rebellious. You know, sometimes we got rebellious little ears because we hear it, and that nature in us rises up and say, Ooh, I don't know, Lord, maybe I'm going to put that one on the shelf for a little bit. That's spiritual, right? We want to we make sure the word is correct. But sometimes in our spirits, we know what's going on when it's a warning or a little... A little something saying, be careful of this. You know, we want to learn to obey because the more we obey, the louder that voice gets or the more certainty we have of his voice leading us and guiding us. You know, it confirms us on the pathway of hearing his voice. And so sometimes we need to think about what's the last thing he said. Have I done that yet? Well, maybe I need to do it. And then he'll speak fresh things. And so Elisha heard from the Lord, sent that word of warning 
to the king. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting, his relationship with the king. Sometimes it was good, sometimes not so good, right? He didn't have much respect, but yet he still had a relationship with the king of Israel. And so he gave those warnings. And so we want to pay attention to warnings in our lives. That's so important because they're meant for our good, right? There's a learning and a distinguishing the warning of the spirit of God. And sometimes he doesn't speak to us per se. We just feel something in our heart. I don't feel right. What is it? I don't understand. There's nothing wrong with this thing. Or, you know, sometimes you can find a situation that's, there's nothing bad about it, but you feel a warning in your heart. You know, it's so important that we heed that. You know, there's a learning process in that, learning to distinguish the voice of the Lord. Sometimes we have trouble with our own spirits or emotions or different things. But, you know, I'd rather make a mistake in heeding a warning, even if I'm not sure about it. But I'd rather make a mistake in heeding a warning and being overcautious than make a mistake of being undercautious, right? We've probably all made mistakes where I should have listened to that. <laughs> yeah, now I know that was the Holy Spirit. But at the time, I, I thought, well, let's test it out and see. Well, I, I tested it and I got bitten right? when he was trying to help me avoid that difficulty. You see, but that voice, his voice is there for our protection, our preservation today, right? In our personal lives, in our walk, but especially in days to come. I think we're just going to need his voice more and more and more. As Christians, we need to walk in wisdom. I heard a story many years ago, and I've, I've tried to like verify this to see uh, what it was like, but I don't know if it was secondhand or what, but I, w- I haven't been able to verify it. But it's a story of a church in a, in a foreign nation, and that nation was a very oppressive uh, place to be. And, and so the government was trying to prevent them from worshiping. And on a certain day, they, they had all agreed to meet together to worship the Lord. But the police also found out, hey, they're getting together to worship, and let's, we're just going to arrest them. And the police came there on that day, and to their surprise, no one showed up. I thought, well, what's going on? Well, that morning, every person in the church felt a warning in their heart. We shouldn't go there. And they also felt a leading of the Spirit. No, instead, let's just go here. And they all, led by the Spirit, were led to a certain place, and they met together. Now, that's the story I heard. It's not gospel. I couldn't confirm it. But, you know, I think it's an illustration of perhaps in the days to come, the way that we're going to have to operate, not with our own mind and understanding, but by the Spirit. And it's going to be so important that we hear that small voice, that we heed his warnings and follow his direction and his guidance. Now, we're not there, thankfully. But we are in that place where we need in our lives to hear the voice of the Lord and to heed his warnings because he will guide us, he'll preserve us, he'll protect us if we hear his voice. If we submit to his voice too. And that's really the key. Now, kind of back to that, that thought of the army. You know, God wants us to see how important this is, that thought of hearing his voice, having his perspective, knowing his mind on the matter. In fact, that's really the thought of these two miracles, what they're going to convey, of having spiritual sight. 
having our eyes opened, right? They show a, because these miracles show a transformation of someone who in the, in the beginning just sees in the natural, but now their eyes are opened to see as God sees. And so back to this story, right? So the king of Israel, uh, well, the king of Syria makes plans to trap Israel, but they're always avoid it. And right, the king of Syria is a little upset. He says this in 2 Kings 6 and 11. He says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said, will you show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Right? Who's telling him all the plans that I have? One of his servants said, none of us, my Lord, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber, in the secret place, right? Maybe you're talking to your wife and he's like, I'm going to trap him on this today. And Elisha's there hearing (laughs) everything you're saying. And so the king realizes that the true asset of Israel is not the armies of Israel, but it's the prophet of the Lord who can hear the voice of the Lord. You know, the enemy knows that very well. He knows that the real opposition is the one who can hear the voice of God because they will always be able to avoid the traps of the enemy. Those who hear, we also know the second part, and obey. Well, that's the one he fears, not the, the big flashy you know, things going on, but those who hear the voice of the Lord and obey. So the king sends out his armies to try and remove Israel's secret weapon, right? Instead of getting the king, he's like, well, let's get Elisha. And he sent out his servants and spies to figure out, well, where is he? And they found out he's in a town called Dothan. And it's a walled town. And we have this wonderful interaction with between Elisha and his servant. And in 2 Kings 6, it says, The servant of the man of God rose up early, and he went forth, and behold, a host was surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said, Alas, master, what are we going to do? All right, so the servant of Elisha, right, he, he wakes up one morning, stretches, takes a little walk, and he goes up on the walls of the city where he looks out, and he sees what no one wants to see. And back in those days, you're under siege. Right, the army's there. Usually they're not going to leave until they get what they want or sometimes the whole city's destroyed and panic sets in. What do we do? He saw that. What you see with your eyes, right? It's real. At least that's what we, we say to ourselves. But you know, Elisha saw something different. Second Kings 6 and verse 16. And then Elisha answered and he said, Fear not, for they that are with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he can see what's really going on. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. That's a powerful image. At one moment, it's disaster. It's the end of the road, right? I mean, what can you say? There's no natural response you can say when you're, sur- you're in a, a city like that. You're surrounded. You're under siege. Uh, there's nothing you can do unless you can get a messenger out to sneak by. And You know, I mean, it's almost game over for that. Elisha wasn't worried at all because he was seeing in a different way. 
He was seeing through God's eyes. And he wasn't worried at all. In fact, he was worried more for his servant. Lord, would you help my servant? He needs, he needs to be calmed down. He needs to see what's really going on. And his eyes were opened and he saw, you know, the, this, the city of Dothan was in a little valley up against a mountain. And on the mountains he looked and he saw chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. And there's more of those than of the, the Assyrian army. So it was a turning. And the turning came because the servant had a right perspective. His eyes were opened to see according to God's perspective. You know, there's power in having a right perspective. God's perspective. And it changes everything, right? It absolutely changes everything. Because we can be overwhelmed, you know, at our wit's end. And we can go no farther and we just see all of the opposition and the, we feel the struggles and the temptations and everything. But, you know, when we cry out to God and he gives us his word and he gives us his perspective, it changes everything. It changes everything. And God wants to give that to us. He desires us to have his perspective, his word about the situation. In Isaiah 11, it talks about Christ being anointed with the seven spirits of God. And the result of these anointings is in verse 3. It says, You'll make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, and he won't reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge. With righteousness, with God's way. God's truth, his perspective, his understanding. And, you know, I think we can understand sometimes our eyes can deceive us or sometimes it's our mind, right? Running away, right, with scenarios of what's going to happen because of what we see with our eyes or so forth. You know, we can see something we don't like. We can see it's going to be a difficult experience. It's going to be a a hardship and we don't see an end to it. So automatically it's going to happen. It's going to go on forever, right? There's no end. That's just what our natural person wants to do. It's going to do. And so we try and get out of it and and so forth. But Jesus is saying, I didn't judge with the seeing of my eyes, but I judged by the Spirit of God and, and God's righteousness and his ways. You know, God wants to set us free from being bound by the sight of our eyes. That can be a bondage. I'll only do something if I can understand it and I see it and I see the outcome. That's going to limit what God can do in us and through us. You know, there's that disciple named Thomas. All right. He just happened to miss the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples and they came to him so excited. Jesus, he appeared to us. He was in our midst. And I don't know if they had... You know, you wonder if like they had teased each other in the past or something. And you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to believe in what you say. Unless I see him and I can touch him and f- see his wounds and feel them, I'm not going to believe. Then Jesus appeared. And he had, to, he had to address Thomas. And he said, in John 20, 27, he said, Thomas, reach your finger. Here's my hands. Put your hand and put it on my side and Don't be faithless, but believing. 
Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto Thomas, Because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who do not see with their eyes, but yet they have believed because they have faith. Now, I'm not adding to the scriptures. I'm just kind of, you know, giving us the full perspective. You see, if we have eyes of faith and we're looking with God's perspective, we don't need to see with our natural eyes and we can enter into that blessing of those who have not seen, but yet they see it through eyes of faith. They see it because God has put something in their hearts and they can continue because of that. Now, there's going to come a time when God is going to move in great power and an anointing and you know, people are going to see it with their natural eyes, right? Miracles and healing and deliverance. But, you know, in one sense, they're going to miss out on a blessing. The blessing of following God, even when there's no evidence that we see with our natural eyes. We have that opportunity now. You know, it's kind of one thing. Oh, thank God you're not moving in miracles because I have that opportunity <laughs> to enter into a blessing. Because I haven't seen it with my natural eyes, but I can enter in, into it by faith. Now, I'm not going to say no if the Lord wants to move in miracles and power. I'm going to say amen. But, you know, God desires us to have that, the eyes of faith, that we can receive his word, we can walk in it, and be transformed. Now, in Ephesians, it does talk about this a little bit. Ephesians 1.17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him. In verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Not the eyes in our head, but the eyes of our understanding in our spirit. That it be enlightened. That we can know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's not even, I mean, the knowledge is not even like of what's going on right now, but what is before us, what he's calling us to, what is before us. And if we'll keep going through the natural, that's very difficult, but we keep our eyes upon that. God wants to open our eyes to those things. And if our eyes are set upon those things, they sure do enable us to get through the difficult times now. That's the inheritance that God wants us to enter into. That's what he wants to give to us. He wants to give us those eyes of faith where, you know, before we saw dimly in the things of the Spirit, now that is illuminated and there's an exchange. The things of this world grow dim, but the things of his kingdom grow brighter and brighter. They're illuminated by the Spirit of God. Now, going back to the miracles of Elisha, God did not just open the eyes of Elisha's servant. He struck blind the the army of Syria. And, you know, we can rejoice in the fact that there's there's more with us than are against us, but also that those who are with us have all the power, right? Those who are against us have no power that when God says, okay, you're done, they're struck blind, they're their effectiveness is removed, and now they're just like little children holding each other's hands. <laughs> Where do I go? You're not, that's when God moves. And so we might be facing an enemy that's opposing us. We might have challenging situations, but God can change it in a moment to where 
Now they're just stumbling around in the dark, right? They have no effect on us because God has opened our eyes and he's moved in that situation. But it doesn't end there because Elisha leads this blind army. He says, I'll take you to the one you're seeking. And he leads them to Samaria, to the capital of Israel. The Lord prays, Lord, open the the eyes of these men that they can see. And imagine how they felt as they opened their eyes and they, wait a minute, where are we? We're in the capital of our enemy. And there's the king of Israel. We were looking for him all this time. Now we're here, but yet we're at his mercy. And it's interesting what the king of Israel says. In in 2 Kings 6.21, the king says to Elisha, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them down? Now they're in our power. And, and Elisha answers, you shall not smite them. Would you smite those you've taken captive with the sword and your bow? Instead, feed them, take care of them, and let them go to their master. And so the king of Israel wants to smite them, but Elisha says they're our captives, and so we are going to care for them. And we've touched on this in the uh, past in this series, but you know, it's just Christ said in, in Luke six twenty seven. He says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them which curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. Now in Elisha's case, this was an enemy that had come for him. Right? They had come to take him back to Syria and who knows if they, they were gonna let him go. Probably not. But this story gives us some insight on how we can practically love our enemies. Um, you know, we can know this concept. Right? We know it and agree as Christians we're to love our enemies. But it's not an easy thing to do, is it? When you have an enemy, then they're opposing you and saying things and so forth and speaking. They're active against you. But what is, what is it that makes a difference in how we can love them? Have you thought about that? Well, I'm supposed to love our enemy, but Lord, how do I love them? Well, this, this story kind of gives us a little bit perspective because for Elisha, we know he had a second sight. He was seeing things in a different perspective. He saw his enemy. And when we only see it through our natural eyes, we see, well, our enemy's pretty big. Our enemy's opposing us and he's being really a stinker. And I'm upset with him. If that's our sight, then it's, we're going to have trouble loving our enemy. But, you know, if our eyes are opened to have eyes of faith and we see God's hand and we see how he's in charge and we see that more that are with us than are with them and God is able to strike them down so that, well, not, we're not looking for God to strike them down, but make them of no effect in our lives. And we have that sight. It sure is a lot easier to love your enemy. In fact, you can start to feel sorry for them and feel pity on them, as Elisha did. No, king, you're not going to strike them down. They're to be pitied because God took away any power they had. And now they're like little children there, just kind of like, what's going to happen now? But he had that sight. And when we see with God's perspective, it gives us a new ability to love those who are opposed to his ways because they're, they're really the ones in bondage. They are the ones who need to be set free. And Elisha did that very thing. He fed them, gave them food and drink, and he let them go. He felt sorry for them. 
And so when we see with God's sight, we can fulfill those words. He said this in a different gospel, um, same wording, but then he adds something else. Matthew 5 and verse 44. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate, hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you, persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Sometimes you see that and it's like, Lord, how do you send rain on those evil, wicked people who are doing all that? Well, when you see from his perspective, it all makes sense. From our perspective, not so much. So if we're, if we're having trouble loving our enemies or thinking good of someone, maybe it's because we have a wrong perspective. And we need to say, Lord, give me your perspective of them. Cause me to see them as you see them. And that might change our heart and give us a little compassion and love towards them. And so our goal in fact, God says, if you want to be children of your heavenly Father, we need this perspective, right? And so our goal is to have the same heart as our heavenly Father, not just love those who love us. Jesus said the Pharisees love those who love them, and what good is that? But what will enable us to truly fulfill the law of God is when we th- see things from heaven's perspective. Our eyes are opened, the eyes of our understanding. We have eyes of faith. We can receive faith to follow him and fulfill the law of love. And Father, we just thank you. Thank you that even though we see things, Lord, we see through a glass darkly. And Lord, we don't see everything. And sometimes we can become fearful or get confused and walk in the wrong way because we rely upon the sight of our eyes. And so, Lord, we cry out to you today. Lord, would you give us a new perspective of the things that we're walking through, of the things that, Lord, we're facing. Lord, would you uh, give us your eyes? Lord, even illuminate us by the, those anointings that came upon you in your life. Lord, that we would have eyes that would not judge after our own sight, but that we would judge according to your spirit, according to your purposes in your kingdom. Oh, Lord, we just pray that you would work within us now. Lord, give us an ear to hear you. Lord, if there's areas that resist your still small voice. Lord, we invite you to come in in a fresh way and work in us. Deal with us. Lord, circumcise our ear that we could hear you in a, in a new way. And Lord, give us a heart to receive and to follow you that we could become like you and fulfill your law of love, we ask. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.